Hey, uh, welcome everybody. My name is Micah. Kiddos, if you guys are uh, headed out, you can go with Miss Kaylee right over here. And if you're not going to go with Miss Kaylee, then there are strict rules which we abide by here at the Solstice Community for uh, children and uh, youngsters, which is don't fall asleep. All right? Um, and if you do, I will come and find you. I probably won't. But hey, a couple things to let you know that are coming. Uh, number one, um, so a couple of weeks ago, we made a very uh, significant announcement. If you have not been around, um, you're going to want to check out the website uh, and or the blog, which uh, tells the story of how we got to the place where we essentially are inviting anyone from what, uh, what is Solstice to become a part of a new community called Awaken. And so June 27th, coming up in a few weeks, will be our last night. Uh, as solstice, uh, lots to, to know about that. If you haven't gotten any information, there is a uh, kind of a pamphlet that tells a story and a, and a response card. Uh, for those of you that have gotten that response card, a uh, couple of things you should know. Uh, if at any point you feel like, yes, uh, I've got an answer, uh, I'm coming or I'm not coming to awaken, uh, please let us know that. Uh, all of you, even if it's, um, you know, you're not going to make the trip and it's not feasible for your family, we want to know that because otherwise I will try to find you and get an answer from you. So if you already know that, you can just put that on the card and uh, you know, pray for us, you know, whatever it is uh, that you want to do, and you can put that in the offering basket. If perchance you, you don't feel like you can come to that place before the 27th, uh, please don't feel like you know, that's like do or die. Like If you don't decide by the 27th, then everything's going to stop, because of course that's not the case. Some of you may need to come and check it out and be a part of it for the summer and then make a decision. That's totally cool. But we want to just kind of look at the 27th as, as a, as a uh, we want to make a big deal about it because we want to celebrate what God's done and we also want to, um, you know, move into whatever God's calling us to. So that's that. Anything I'm forgetting um, that I should be talking about, those of you that know? Okay, great. Wonderful. Um, we're going to receive an offering. Uh, there are some bags on the uh, chairs here. If you find those near you, you can pass them to the edges. If you find the, you get them at the edges, uh, you can hang on to them and bring them up during our closing set of worship, and that would be awesome. Uh, you're going to need a Bible tonight, so if you don't have one, there should be some red ones in the seat pockets in front of you. You can grab one. If perchance in doing that you find a black Bible that looks anything like this, it's probably mine, and I'd like it back. Still looking for that, so I thought maybe it got stuck in one of the chairs, but I haven't had the time to look at all of them. Um, so we are in week two or week three of a series called Awaken, where we go from here, and we're basically just pressing into this idea of uh, how do we follow God? How do we listen to God? How do we uh, respond when we feel like God is leading? And so this week, uh, we're going to uh, maybe dig a little bit deeper into that. And let me start by uh, sharing. You know you're getting older when people in your youth group start to get married. Uh, so if you are a youth pastor and you start getting wedding invitations to, uh, that, that of who, you know, you can remember these people as ninth graders on a bus uh, going to a retreat, you know you're getting up there, or at least the time is passing you by. My wife and I had the uh, distinct privilege and honor to, I've had a, you know, I've married a couple of them, which has been great. Last night we, we went to a wedding, and uh, I want to just tell you about one particular incident at this wedding that, that ties into what we want to talk about tonight. So we're, you know, we do the whole wedding, and then we go, and I played a song, and then we went to the reception and did the reception thing and saw all kinds of friends and people that we used to know and, and did church with. And uh, our time had, had, you know, the, the, the coach was about to turn into a pumpkin and the slippers were going to turn, you know, fall off and our babysitters were going to go home. 
And uh, so we decided that was the end of our time. And as we're leaving, uh, I had dropped Laura off under the little awning at the hotel because it was raining. And so she didn't know where I'd parked the car. And there's this massive, long, like, you know, uh, entryway and, and, and lobby. It's got, like, flowers and trees and all kinds of stuff. And so we're about to make our way all the way across this deal. And I say to Laura, hang on, stop, follow me. <clears throat> <laughs> To which, if you're married and you say that to your wife, I'm guessing you've gotten a couple of different responses, depending on you and the nature of your direction capabilities and all of that. But I say, honey, stop, follow me. And, you know, just in a moment, you know, you just snapshot, freeze, and you can kind of see the wheels turning, and it's kind of like, Where, when have I heard this before, and how did that end? And this was just a small anecdotal you know, incident, but, you know, we turned around and we didn't go all the way through the deal because I knew something that Laura didn't know. I knew that I had parked right outside the, the side entrance and we could get there faster because that's what it's all about for guys, right? How fast can you get there, the most direct route, and how many lights, how many right turns can you make instead of left turns, right? So I said, stop, follow me, we're going to go this direction. <clears throat> and there's something about those two words, follow me, Right? Something about those words that depending on the kind of person who's asking you or depending on who you are and your story and where you've been, it can conjure up all kinds of different emotions. Uh, tonight as we continue this series, we want to drill down on this, this a little bit deeper on the subject of following. Uh, we want to explore what, what is it about follow me that for many of us taps into uh, lots of different kinds of emotions. So I want to start in Numbers chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, turn there if you would. Numbers chapter 9, this is the great story of the Exodus and the people of God who are leaving Egypt, and now they're out in the desert. God has come to them uh, and to Moses, and he's their leader. And uh, there's this thing called the tabernacle, which is essentially the place in which the people of God would worship. And if you don't know the story, when they, they put the tabernacle, they set up the tabernacle, throughout their whole journey out of Egypt, there was this cloud during the day and this pillar of fire by night that was a symbolic of the fact that God's presence was there. And oftentimes it would move. And so the people of God found themselves moving from time to time based on this particular cloud in the day and pillar of fire by night. And so uh, if you would stand with me, this is uh, Numbers chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 15 says this, On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening until morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days, and at the Lord's command they would encamp, and then at his command they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening until morning, and when it lifted in the, eve in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, when the, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. This is a bit redundant, but you get the point. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. And at the Lord's command, they encamped. At the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word tonight, as we study and try to understand what it means to follow you, would you make so clear to each of us, wherever we are found tonight, uh, in each of our walks, in each of our journeys, uh, whether we're totally sold out and committed to you or just investigating. God, I pray 
that you would be present here, that uh, you would speak to each of us, and that you would teach us what it means to follow you. And when you say follow, what exactly we're getting ourselves into. Uh, we, we trust that by your spirit you will, and uh, we look forward to what you might say. In your name and by the power of your spirit, all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. So usually when I want to tell my kids something, I'll tell them, and then I'll tell them in a different way, right, so that they get the point. But this guy, whoever wrote this, most scholars would say it's Moses, uh, really wants to hammer home a point here. And essentially it's this. When God moved, when God said follow, when God got up and moved, the Israelites would follow him. No questions asked. Whether it was we just set up camp this morning and now God's on the move, we're on the move too. Whether it's we've been here a year and God hasn't moved, we stay put. The point of the passage is to say that the Israelites, their life, their, their being, who they were as a people was connected to this idea that they moved when God moved. And when he said go, they, they went. And when he said follow me, they followed. Now, so this is a picture, I think, of what we want to be as a church. This is a, a picture of the kind of people, if we say we follow Jesus and we say we're interested in following God, that this is a picture of the kind of person and the kind of church we want to be. When God moves, when God says follow me, we do it. We follow, we move. But of course... We know that this is not how it always works, right? You guys have been, you've heard the preacher guy, and he says, you know, when the Lord moves, you've got to move. And, you're, and, and if I'm sitting in your chair, I'm thinking to myself, okay, thanks, that's really not helpful because it's usually not that clear. There's not a cloud over my life. There's no pillars of fire. There's no audible voices. There's no writings in the sky. So you say, well, when the Lord moves, you just move. It's not really all that helpful. Thank you very much. And and what makes matters worse, what makes it even more complicated, is we have this whole human interaction thing. So unfortunately for us as humans, a lot of times we've had people say, follow me, and we got burned. Or we had people say, follow me, and we got hurt. Or we had people say, follow me, and they led you somewhere you didn't want to go. And so now you have these personal, per, you know, human experiences that are, that are wrapped up with this idea of somebody who was supposed to lead me and I was supposed to follow and it didn't turn out well or it hurt or I have wounds and scars because of it and now I'm supposed to somehow not project that onto God, which things get a little dicey pretty quickly. So tonight... As we stand on the brink of something new, as we stand on the brink of a new adventure, whether it be Awaken or something else, I don't take it uh, for granted the fact that this is a decision that I'm asking you to go before the Lord and say, God, where are you leading me? And that there are certainly possibilities, and, and many of you may say we feel God is leading us elsewhere. So whether you stand on the brink of Awaken or something else, we all stand on the brink of something new because come July 4th, We'll all be at the cabin. But come July 11th, this will not be. And something new will be. And the question is, what will it be for you? And so tonight, I want to ask this question. What can we know about God and his leading? What can we lean into as we attempt to follow Jesus and as we attempt to follow God as he's called us to? So, but before we go there, before we talk about God and what we can know about him, I want to start with a question and I want to start with us. The question is this. What is at the heart of my inability to follow? And I speak first person, but I want you to personalize it for yourself. What is at the heart of my inability to follow? What's at the root of my hesitancy when someone says, follow me? Where exactly does that come from? Uh, for many of us, myself included, 
when I'm told the statement, just follow me, my first response is not, okay, sure. It's usually skepticism, doubt, uh, sometimes fear, depending on who's asking, insecurity. It's not usually just like, you know, uh, um, okay, I'll go, I'll follow you. It's hesitation and possibly doubt. Um, many of you know a bit of my story, and it includes a lot of different things, but two stories in particular where I've had people in my life who were supposed to be people who said, follow me, and who were supposed to say, follow me as I follow Jesus, one being my dad, one being a boss that I had. And these were people who were supposed to say, follow me as I follow Christ, and unfortunately for me, I got burned, I got hurt. I invested, I followed, and I was led to places I didn't want to go. Maybe you have situations that, uh, that are like mine. Maybe you have an instance or a person or a season of your life that you can look back on. And when, when I say follow me, it doesn't conjure up like these wonderful, beautiful uh, feelings of that was so awesome, but rather it's that really was not cool. And, and, you know, as I prepared for this week and thought about what I would say, um, oftentimes I try as best as I can to reflect and do some just self, you know, processing and meditating on what is it that, that we're talking about here. And as I thought about why, why does my heart not go? Why, when someone says, follow me, why is my first response not okay? Or why is my first response, um, I'm not sure about this, I have doubts, I'm a skeptic. What is it about that? And I've come to realize that my inability to follow is connected to two things most often every time. One of these two things. First is pride. The second is trust. Pride is a gift from my mother and father, and by that I mean Adam and Eve. Because in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, this is the lie that they were told by, the, by Satan, by the evil one, that um, I think I know what's best. So the, the, the serpent said, if you... If you eat this, then you'll know what God is holding out on, what God is holding out, uh, you know, he's holding back from you. And that's to know what's good and evil and to be like God. And actually, God's, he doesn't want you to have that, and so he's holding it back from you. That's why he said not to eat that. And so Adam and Eve's first decision, their, their decision to eat this apple was connected to pride. It was connected to, I think I know what's best. I think I... I know how this, is thing, this thing's going to go. I think I know what direction for my life is best, and it's essentially about me, my desires, and my way of being me. It's pride. My inability to follow, my hesitation to follow, is essentially connected to pride. I think I know what's best. I think I know how to get there better than you. I think I don't want to do that. So it's often pride and it's often trust. Trust is a gift or maybe a, a wound or a hurt from those people who have let you down. When they said, follow me, and they led you places you didn't want to go, or, or there was hurt or uh, pain involved, you've been burned or left out to dry, and so you don't trust, which makes perfect sense. So connected to my inability to follow, I would say is often pride and trust. But let's dig a little bit deeper here. Let's, take it one, let's go one notch more. What's at the root of pride and trust? What is at, you know, always going in the system tray of pride and trust? What is always, you know, the low hum and a amplifier, which I don't know if you guys can hear that. Hear that? You guys hear that? Oh, now. 
No. <laughs> it's a bad illustration that just got worse as I stuck my butt up in the air. <laughs> That's hard to recover from. Okay. <laughs> my brother used to do that. He'd be like, you guys don't. Um, so it's getting worse and worse. The question is, let's dig a little deeper, right? What, what's, what's below pride and trust? If you could dig just a little bit deeper, I would argue that it's fear. Fear is just below the surface of pride and trust. In the instance of pride, what is it that I'm scared of? I'm afraid that actually God is holding out on me. I'm afraid that actually God's got something that he doesn't want me to have, and, I, and it will actually be better for me. Like, my life will be better if I have that. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve fell to in the Garden of Eden. That God was holding out on them, that he actually created them for something more than they were experiencing. And if they ate of this tree, then they would have access to that. And so their pride was connected to fear that God wasn't actually being truthful. That God wasn't trustworthy. That God had something better for them that he wanted to keep for, them, for himself. Fear in the case of trust is essentially, if we trust again, then we'll get burned. And so we're scared. That's a natural response. When you get burned and you put yourself out there in the case of love or in the case of of trust, and you get burned, self-preservation kicks in and keeps us from saying yes when God or someone says, follow me. Now, some of us could just stop here tonight, and there's plenty to think about with these issues of pride and of trust. We could spend uh, uh, the rest of our evening in prayer and, and thinking about and meditating on What is it about pride and trust and me following God? But I want to move move beyond um, sort of the negative side of things, the the, the reactionary things, and I I want to build on something positive. I want to construct something. So I want to move towards change and growth, and I want to... I want us to move towards learning how to be the church, that learning how to be the kinds of people who follow when God says, follow me. So what do we know about God? What can we lean into regarding this idea of following? When we see the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, and when God moved, they moved with him. How do we become those kinds of people? How do we become that kind of church? Let me give you uh, some encouragement as to why I think one really, 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 really good reason, the best one I could come up with and, and as I search the scriptures, as to why we can follow God without fear, and then some implications of that. Okay, So first and foremost, ultimately... We can follow this God when he says, follow me, because he knows where this thing is going. Uh, I remember when I was um, a youth pastor, I, I led a trip to Kosovo. And uh, on our way to Kosovo, we flew through uh, London. And so here's, here's what I'm thinking to myself. Self, you've got a group of kids uh, who many of them will never uh, have this opportunity again. And we're traveling through one of the coolest cities on the planet, London, England, right? It's a great place. So let's take a day on the way home. We'll spend a day in London. We'll see the sights. We'll do the whole deal. And then, because we were going to fly through there anyhow. So I thought, what a waste if we don't actually get off the plane and spend some time in London. So that was our plan. We're going to spend some time in London. So me, being a youth pastor, I've been to London once before this trip. And I'm thinking, I know where I'm going. I know what we're doing. This is cool, dude. We're gonna, it's going to be fine. Now, keep in mind, I've got 32 individuals, 29 or 28 students, high schoolers, and a couple of adults. So I get on the Googles, I get on the interwebs, and I start typing, hostels in London. <laughs> 
You see where this is going. Because first I tried hotels in London, which is like saying, do you want to spend $8,000 for a group this size? And the answer is no. I have to be a good you know, steward of the resources that God's given us and the finances that the parents have put into this. So we'll go on the cheap. We'll go on the hostel route. Hostels in London. I find a hostel, and it looks, based on the website, it looks like a real slam dunk. It looks like a real sweet hostel. And it's actually in one of the greater, you know, greater spots in London. It's in Piccadilly, if you've ever been there. This is like the heart of the you know, life of London, right? Yeah, let's do it. We're going to Piccadilly. If we're going to London, let's do it up right. We fly in on a Friday at about 10 o'clock at night to London, which means that we have to take a shuttle, a bus, not a small bus. You have to 32 people. Don't forget that we've been on a mission trip, and so we have a full drum kit in cases and speakers and a sound system and all kinds of ministry things that kids are carrying. So they have one bag for themselves and one ministry bag. So one poor guy, he's got a massive bag and like a 35-inch kick drum. that he, That's his deal. So we get on the bus and we go to London. It's Friday night in downtown London, Piccadilly Circus, and we don't get there until like 1 o'clock in the morning. Now, many would think, oh, plenty, you know, people have gone to sleep by then. It'll be quiet as a mouse. This is when, like, life happens. When the clock strikes midnight in downtown London in the club scene, this is when all the crazy people come out. I cannot get within four blocks of the hospital we're supposed to go to because we're in a tour bus, and I've got all these kids and all this stuff. So I parade 32 people in downtown London on a Friday night, all with two bags past lines of people who are trying, who are like blitzed and hammered. Um, Some of my kids are like, oh my gosh, what is happening here? I've never seen things like this before. And I'm just going, just look straight ahead and keep moving. Do not talk to anybody. We get to the hostel and we're on the seventh floor. The elevator is broken. It's like heavens to Betsy. These kids had these leaders, for Pete's sake. These are adults who have like, you know, who say, Micah, our fearless leader, we trust you. You know, we'll follow you. What in the are you doing? (laughs) I mean, I had leaders like grabbing me by the scruff of the neck. On so many different levels and on so many different occasions that night, I had no idea where I was leading these people. I mean, it was all new to me, and we made, I, not we, this is the proverbial we where I try to shirk some of the responsibility onto somebody else, and it was no one but me. I had no idea where I was leading these people. If you would turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 21, while you're going there, ultimately... We can trust and follow God when he says, follow me, because he knows where this is headed. Revelation chapter 21. This is the end of the Bible. This is, this is, this is the sum of the end. This is, if you could sum it up, this is where the whole thing is headed. This is what the entire scriptures have been telling. This is what the work of Jesus Christ is leading us to. And it says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed Away and verse chapter 22 says the first verse one. Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops yielding its fruit every month. And on the leaf and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be any curse. Good news, the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign with him forever and ever. This is where God is leading us. And so when God says to you and to me, follow me, We don't have to worry, we don't have to doubt, we don't have to be scared, we don't have to fear because there are no ill motives, there are no hidden agendas, there is no sleight of hand. We follow the God who has made a way through Christ for the restoration of all things and ultimately this is where he is leading his church and this is where he's leading his people and we can trust this God, because of the resurrection, which puts the seal on it that says it's authentic, it's going to happen. And when he says move in the cloud and the pillar or whatever form it takes, says move, we can pack up with confidence and with resolve, knowing and trusting that this, this is the end to which God is leading us. And he is inviting you and I, his church, to be a part of that movement, to be a part of that following in whatever way, shape, or form that looks like for you as individuals or as families. So we can trust and follow when God says, follow me, because this is where it's going. And ultimately, God has made a way through the work of Jesus. Not only do we know where God's leading and we can trust it, but I would say, secondly, there is open dialogue along the way. Uh, maybe you could say it this way. We're not following blindly. Uh, There's dialogue and communication between the God who says, follow me, and the group of people that he says, follow me too. Uh, Recently, I've been watching uh, The Pacific. I I got a TV recently, and then we got Comcast, and they said you can have HBO for free for three months, right? But don't forget to cancel it after three months because they just start charging you. This is how that all works. I was on it, though. I was on it. I called them. I canceled it. But I had the window of time when they were, pre- when they were debuting this, this, this series called The Pacific, which is essentially like the Band of Brothers, except different. Different war, different island or something. Um, and here's, what I, here's what's confirmed. This just in, it's been confirmed. I could not do the military. Because the military is based on a fundamental... You guys are all laughing because you know me, and you know that I would get hammered, right? It would not be good. I would be in the brig. Is that what they call that? You're in the hole, man. Or no, that's a prison. Uh, Court-martial, son. Um, the, the, the military is based on a fundamental prep, uh, presupposition or assumption and a trust that those above you in the chain of command know what's best for you and your friends and you follow it. There is no direct connection between you and the orders that you're given. They come down through the chain of command and whoever's above you says this is where you're going and you go. I could never do this. 
Turn to Mark chapter 15, if you would. Mark chapter 15. This is the end of Mark's gospel. This is also recorded in Matthew. Luke and John don't think it's important enough to say it, but I think it's pretty interesting. Just kidding. I'm joking. They had a different agenda. That's a whole nother sermon. Mark chapter 15, verse 37. Jesus is on the cross, and with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And verse 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So this symbol of God, the temple in Jerusalem, this is where people worshipped God in in, in Israel. So if you're going to worship this God, this Yahweh, this is where you go. And in the temple, I had a black marker. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Uh, In the temple, there's there's certain... um, you know, demarcations of space. And so certain people were allowed here and certain people were allowed here. And then one person was allowed in the Holy of Holies, which is basically this one little section back here where the Ark of the Covenant actually was. And there was this temple, there was this curtain that separated the presence of God, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory, God's actual essence, His being, This is where it lived, and there was a curtain that separated it from the rest of the people. So in the Old Testament, the way in which God communicated through his people was hierarchically, or like this. It was through a particular group of people. These people were called the Levites. They were a tribe or a portion of a tribe of Israel that God's made special and said, you will be the people through which worship happens in the temple. And so the Levites did all the sacrificing in the temple and the high priest of Israel came from the clan of this, this group of folks and they were the only person one day a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, when they would go into the Holy of Holies where they would offer a sacrifice on behalf of all of Israel. So when God spoke... It happened very systematically and very one-directionally through a particular group of people and then pushed out through the rest of Israel, which was fine. It was great. But something happens at the cross. And in the New Testament, when Jesus dies on the cross, this thing is rendered, it's ripped in two. It's the, the, the curtain which divided God's presence from his people was ripped in two. And lots of debate, lots of scholars talk about what were the actual implications of this. And I think on a narrative level, you cannot go far from the symbolic representation of God's spirit in the Old Testament on this side of the cross is now at loose in the world. In and through God's people. So the New Testament says that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation and you become the very house the very i almost set my pants on fire over here i don't know if that's what you guys are laughing at but i was standing here going my butt's really close to that fire i'm gonna move so you as a believer in jesus become the place in which the the glory the spirit of god actually rests now you might be asking micah why are you telling us all of this and what does it have to do with following god I would say we we hesitate. We don't follow God because sometimes we don't trust where he's going. We can ultimately, we know where God's going. We can trust it because we see it in Scripture. Revelation 21, 22. We're not following blindly. This is, whereas in in the military, this is something, it's it's a power thing and it's an authority thing. The way in which God speaks and the process by which he, now get this, friends, please get this. The way by which God leads his church and the process by which he leads people and individuals is a personal 
process that is rooted in relationship. So when the temple veil is torn and God's spirit is loose in the world and the spirit of God now makes its home in the believer, which, is, which the church is made up of, the way by which God communicates to his people, the way by which God says, follow me, is no longer this hierarchical thing, but it's a personal thing that is based and rooted in relationship. This is huge. This is huge because power and authority has a totally different feel and has completely different implications with relationship. So if we know and can trust that God is leading and, and he's, when he says follow, we know where he's leading us towards. And if we know that he does this through relationship and through communication, then we must, we have to be. It is so, uh, oh, it's, it's really important that we be relationally in tune with this God who says follow me. What does this look like? My wife is a wonderful woman. You guys all know this. There have been many times in our relationship when I have heard this. Micah, I don't feel connected to you. Which sounds a little bit like Cara Diaguardia off American Idol. You know, you just weren't connected to the song. I wanted you just to live into it and just express yourself. <laughs> I'm not saying you're like Cara Diaguardia, but... Where I've heard those words like, I just don't feel connected to you. And what that means is this. We have not spent significant time together. Uh, there, is, there has not been mutual care and concern for the other's uh, life and well-being going both ways. It's not just always me. I know that's hard for you guys to believe. Uh, when, when we're not connected, it, what it means is that we're not, we're not up to date on us. Like, we're not on the same page. Uh, it's like our life, which should be one, somehow is existing in, in, in separate worlds. And there have been no significant touch points throughout a day for a period of time. And, and with each one of those touch points that doesn't happen, this connection drifts further and further from being a reality. Why? What's the basis of that? How do, how do you ensure that that happens? Because when there is connection, when there is that relationship, man, it is so wonderful. A happy wife is a happy life. You all know this, right? And, and, and it goes the other way. When, I, when we're together and we're connected, we're happy, man, things are, it, it's like one of the most beautiful, amazing relationship-connected feelings I've ever experienced in my life. How do you ensure that? Time spent together. You cannot get this kind of connection without face-to-face -face time with your spouse or your friend or whoever it is that you're talking about being relationally connected. There is no substitute for time spent together. And if we're going to be the kind of church... If we're going to be the kind of people who follow God's lead, which we know we can trust because we know where he's going, and he does it through relationship, then there is no substitute for time spent in God's presence. Time out. This is a struggle for Pastor Micah. Does anybody else struggle in this area? Some people call it quiet time. Some people call it, don't be shy, raise your hand. Prayer or solitude, or quiet, okay? 
I, I run a million miles a minute. I have a hard time, um, you know, keeping track of what I'm thinking. And then I think I've said something because I thought it. And I, So for me to just be quiet and spend time with something that's like not there but is there, you can imagine. But I am learning and I am becoming more and more convinced because over the last couple of months as we've processed through this awakened thing, I have spent more face time with God. And I'm telling you, I am filled with joy. I am so, I am filled with faith. I believe with everything I have that there have been moments where it was God's spirit at work and I just stand back and go, that is God at work. I believe it. I have faith. It's true because I've spent time with him. We can be the kind of people, we can be the kind of church who follows God's lead and we can do so because we know and trust where he's going and he leads through relationship and as we're in tune with God through prayer and time spent with him, then our hearts become united. There's this relational connectedness and it's as if our hearts are beating in rhythm. It's as if they're beating, like we're in tune together. And so when God says, follow me, my first response is not doubt, fear, skepticism or where are you leading me? but trust. And if you've never experienced relational trust and vulnerability where you have given yourself to another person with complete trust and laying yourself totally bare, it is amazing. It's what we were created for. That's why it's so powerful and so beautiful and so of God. And so when we trust that we know where God's taking us and, and we, we, we interact in this relationship where there's time spent together, then I think we can become the kinds of people and I think that we can become the kind of church that when God says, follow me, we don't balk. Our first response is not this, but our first response is actually a movement towards because we have learned to trust the heart of God because we've there's relationship there. And so, my friends, I want to close with this. One of my dreams for this community, and I recognize that this will most likely rise and fall with me in my leadership, but one of my dreams is connected to an experience I had when I was in Connecticut. I went and saw Brian Mowry, who used to be the pastor of, this church, of Solstice, and he's working at a church called Walnut Hill. He's working with a guy named Clive Calver. While I was there, I saw a group of people, a staff, a group of leaders, Whose, whose first response, it was like an autonomic response. It was like breathing for them. It was prayer. Everything that they do, everything, is always, always rooted in prayer, which is essentially to say time spent with God. They have realized that if they're going to follow God and he relates to us or he communicates through us through relationship, then time spent with him is the key, the access, the, the portal through which we will have the ability to say yes and we will be able to know that God is leading. We'll be able to see when he moves and know when he moves and be able to respond when he moves. My dream and my hope for Awaken and for whatever it is that you decide to be a part of 
is that you will be a part of a community for whom prayer and relational time spent with God is so at the, the root of it, at the, at the foundational level of it, that decisions that we have to make, when there won't be any discussion like, do we feel like God's leading us here? Because we'll already know. I watch these guys, and, and when they make decisions together, there's, there's no like long deliberation and committees and all this other kind of stuff because they're that connected and in tune with God. It was incredible. And I left and I thought, I want that. And I want to lead into that. And so one of my hopes and dreams for Awaken is that we will be the kind of community that is so connected relationally with God by a time spent with Him and through prayer. And I'm trying to do this better in my own life and I'm trying to do this better with my family so that I can lead us into this. But I need your guys' help. And as we get to this place, as we, as we work to be in this place, because it's not an arrival thing, but as we work to, to live in this space, I believe that we will hear and see God moving and, and saying, follow me. And we will, our first response will be one of trust and vulnerability. Where we say, okay God, we'll go wherever it is you're calling us to go. And do whatever it is you're calling us to do. So I'm going to ask you to do something here. Uh, the band's going to come up and uh, get ready. We're going to be taking communion together. But I want to just... Um, I want to lead you in, in a process, uh, in an exercise that you may find totally bizarre and a bit new agey, but I want, you to, I want you to hear this. It's not, okay? This is rooted in ancient historical Orthodox Christianity, and the Psalms talk all about it. And we're going to use some music to help uh, foster an, an, an environment and help you and help me and help us to go to this place I want us to go. But what I'm going to ask you to do is to just spend some time in meditation, thinking about a couple of questions and here they are number one what keeps you from following god when you sense god's spirit prompting to say follow me what keeps you from following what is your hesitation rooted in second are there any wounds or or places from your past that keep you from trusting and if they are do you believe in the God who says he forgives and restores and heals? And if you do, would you be open to allowing him to work in your heart tonight? And third, are you willing to say, God, if you say follow me or I see you moving, I will follow? What keeps you from following God? Are there any wounds or places in your past that are connected to keeping you from trusting? And are you willing to say, God, if you tell me follow me or I see you moving, I will go. Those are the things I want you to ponder. I'm going to ask Brian in uh, just a minute to, to start a, a track. And it's just going to be some really, really light uh, music. And I want you just to be quiet. Breathe deeply. Allow your hearts to actually settle in and ponder those things. And let God speak. FaceTime with him. And I hope that you see this as a gift from your pastor. Because I'm making you do it because it's good for us, and we need to do it. So, Brian, if you would start that. As, uh, as that ends, Ben's going to lead us in, in a song, and then we'll take communion together. So, spend some time with Jesus. <laughs>